0: Om no, Hunato Saha William Kerava. Hey, all right so actually I don't have my own notes uh, but Rajesh forwarded his notes so I'll just read them out what we discussed in the last last class so in the last GD uh, we discussed uh, cut wash and clean the mantra given by a guru to an aspiring seeker and what it meant. Um, And then the question was, uh, why is it to be followed in a guru's ashram? And why can't we follow this in our daily lives at home and still call it karma yoga? So I think we had a very good discussion on it. And uh, uh, I think some of the takeaways that I remember, I think one was that uh, it's more of a conducive environment that we have in the ashram so to begin with maybe we can do that but if we can do it at home i think that's the eventually the idea is to do it everywhere home or ashram or anywhere and uh, i think what we discussed was there's nothing new that needs to be done but it's the same act that needs to be done with a different attitude and making each of our actions uh divine or karma yoga so we discuss that and then we discuss the words uh, kripan and hetu and uh, you know how, what they meant in this particular context and then we dive deeper into practical significance of karma yoga and more related to donating or you know beneficiaries and who the beneficiary should be could be etc and uh, the advice is in workplace context and then we discussed grace and how to get it and I think for that, we need to have, um, uh, I think vairagyam is the key to unlock grace, um, but karma yoga definitely is needed to cleanse the mind to be um, uh, to be a proper recipient of the grace. Otherwise, the re- grace is showering everywhere. It's only if the patrata, as it is known as, if the, the person is... Uh, uh, capable of accepting that grace and how we achieve that is through the, the practices, the Karma Yoga practice, etc. And then we discussed how wisdom at an intellectual level influences our actions. That um, it's not that we have to practice giving up desires, but once we read about it and the wisdom dawns on it, then those um, then those desires automatically drop off. So it's not necessarily that the action that the effort needs to be put in to, you know, give up things, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. They'll automatically happen as well if, uh, you know, um, if at intellectual level we understand certain things, etc. And then we also discussed if donating money versus donating time, uh, which one is better. I guess uh, it depends very much on the situation and our, in uh, personal temperament as well. Both are, you know, both are good, whichever. And, and also on, the, on what the situation demands. When, if somebody needs help right now to be taken there, et cetera, you can't donate money and just left, leave the person there, I think. So it was more of that. And then action is at three levels, physical, verbal, and mental. Even thinking about fruits of action is distracting us from the work we do. And uh, then he's written, if, why is it wrong to think that if I had a different role, position, place, I would have done better? And why is it our current situation the best to do karma yoga and push forward? So we discussed about that. And then um, you know, the, uh, Arjun's confusion was that you know even though krishna is known as uh, uh, madhusudan or arisudan where he had actually killed but he had killed demons and here arjun is faced to you know to kill his uh, relatives so so that's why his confusion that how can i kill my own relatives and some of them are so dear to me and then uh, we discussed how many of us do just karma or do karma yoga on a daily basis and uh, I think towards the end, we were de- uh, discussing how developing equanimity is the necessary step towards understanding jnana or brahman and Varagyam. And then um, uh, we discussed, you know, the what if and if only concept, you know, those are the two things, shrutasya cha and shrutavya, uh, the two, two situation, um, how, uh, uh, how we need to not think about either of them and maybe if you know ajay i can ask you because he's written half of it what you posted just now so maybe best you you explain about the that karma yoga thing
1: right now this is uh, very much what i had mentioned uh, last time and i kind of went back to just reflect on it and convert some of the things that i had read into a bunch of questions and uh, you know every action that we do you know it's probably useful to use this framework of Six questions to ask ourselves whether we are following the you're doing karma or are we actually are, are our actions karma yoga and it's all about sort of the the the, the post is uh it, it's already on whatsapp uh, but essentially it's
2: around
1: uh, following your do- so the first one is which is whether we're doing a duty or not, which is essentially about following dharma and doing the right thing. Uh, The second one is the uh, the 248 samatvam. Uh, Are we doing action uh, from a state of uh, equanimity and harmony? Essentially meaning that how are we dealing with pairs of opposites like sukha and tutra? The third one is around, is it selfless service? Is it samarpan bhavana? Uh, I am am I doing this for my own ego or am I doing it for uh, uh, am I doing it selflessly? So that is a key question. And a good example of that is when we do charity, I mean if you if a lot of people do anonymous charity, which is essentially saying that it is selfless, I don't want to take any credit for it. Uh, I just want to do it because I feel like doing it. Uh, <clears throat> the fourth one is a sangat, a sangatvam. Which is about doing things without a sense of doership, because we are we are only kind of, you know, we are only kind of doing the action, but the doer is uh, obviously uh, different. So we don't do it with a sense of doership and ownership that this is something that is mine. Uh, so essentially, without a sense of of attachment. And then the last two are the concepts that we had read in Swami Dayananda's book, which is. All actions should be performed as an offering to the Lord, which is Ishwar Buddhi. and we then accept all the outcomes as they come. Again, central to 247, uh, so it is uh, it is Prasadabuti, uh, and and all of that kind of comes down to Karma Phala which is you just do the action and you you, you accept whatever result comes your way.
0: Thank you, thank you, Ajay. Yeah. So I think those were the things. If, there, if there's anything else anyone wants to add from the last session. Otherwise, we will format whoever wants to go first. for the, um, I think let's uh, first aim to do 40, uh, 54 and 55. And if there's time, then we can touch upon 56. Because I think those two are quite big in themselves as well. Anyone wants to start any aha moments or <laughs> what you've connected with?
3: I can go first, uh, Haryo. So one quick, uh, nice setup for me that I uh, read from Swami Dee's book was that how he, uh, package like all the things that Krishna has said so far. So from 2.11, he starts all the way up to 2.31. It's all about Sankhya Yoga. And then uh, 32 to 38 is about the connecting verses. how he brings it all to very practical wisdom, saying, here is what you should really do. That's why he uses the words like, oh, then you will go to heaven. You won't incur sin and things like that in earthly terms. And then from uh, 39, it's like all the setup going up to uh, 47 karma yoga and then uh, wraps it up at 53 and 54. So 53 and 54 he say or, or 52, 53 uh, he kind of wraps it up and says like the just the preceding Shloga the first line he says it wraps up entire uh, Karma Yoga and he says this if you do it with equanimity and you do it with Kaushalam like the correct attitude the right action then you are doing Karma Yoga when you do that you get Antakarna Shuddhi and you are very very uh, receptive to the jnana yoga that will occur to you. And then the second thing, he uses the word yoga, which which actually in this sense, he says it means the, the atma, like you, you realize the Brahma Vidya. So that's the part he uh, refers to in the second line. And he says, oh, now he ties it back to Sankhya yoga again. Remember what I told you? So even through this karma yoga, you will be very clean. And then you will still attain the same thing that Sankhya yoga leads to you will attain that Brahma Vidya and you will be in your, revel in your own Atma and he finishes. And he wraps it up very nicely saying if, if it had just been that Krishna would have at this point said Om Tatsad because all of Gita's teaching is like kind of done at this point, but because it is Krishna Arjuna Samvada, it's a discussion, he kind of he nicely gives us a picturization of what might have happened. So Arjuna, Krishna now pauses for a second. Did you get all what I just told you? Because I have kind of told you everything at this point. And so that's why like Arjuna now thinks, oh, I've heard like a lot of stuff. Let me now think about it. And then the first thing that he asks, and he again very nicely puts it, like the first question actually, the first line he asks an extremely intelligent question. So if you note, like so far Krishna has not used the word sthita pragna. It's Arjuna who comes up with the word sthita So he somehow knows this concept of sthita And then he uses the same samadho word that Krishna used and he connects it. And he says, oh, this is how this self-realized person is all the time. But then in his second question, he kind of asks what seems almost like innocuous questions. How does he sit, walk, or uh, speak? Uh, so there, there he kind of connects in two nice ways. So one is, in firstly, he wants to know, hey, you just asked me to become completely self-realized. If I do that, will I be still able to interact in the practical world? So that is like one thing. So he wants to know, I take all these lessons, now I am going to still become completely inactive and not connected to the world. And then the second thing is, he's now also very curious about this part. Hey, I, I have so far read only about like all this karma rituals from the karma kanda part of the Veda. Now you're asking me to do all these things. So if one person does this, how do I identify such a person? How do they behave then in the world? So there are like two nice parts to it. So thought I would share that. It was a very nice setup coming up all the way to this.
4: Shuloka. Yeah. Very nice. Thanks.
1: In a, way, in a way, the teaching has actually ended in 253, in a way, because that's kind of it, right? You know, you've got yeah. Sankhya Yoga, you've got Karma Yoga, and then you get to realization. But And, and this is interestingly the first question that Arjuna is asking in, in the Bhagavad Gita. I mean, the rest of it was lamentation uh, in chapter one. But the first real question and, and a rather interesting one. I I mean, I read it, and I read some commentary, and I, I thought that was a brilliant question. I don't know the answer, to be honest, but the question was great.
4: <laughs> so, so, I was uh, listening to these uh, 53, 54 uh, quite a bit last last couple of days. Um, one thing that uh, does come out is um, in in fifty uh, in fifty-three, since he uh, says uh, uses the word samadha, um uh, one commentary was that um, uh, Arjuna gets confused that, uh, you know, if if the mind is always stable, then how can somebody function? So he is still at a, uh, his understanding is still quite low at this point. And he, he confuses it to be steady in mind as in the mind doesn't, uh, is fixed and does not. Um, uh, so how do you, uh, how do you? how is it practically possible and what, how do you go about in, in the world, right? So, um, and the fact that, um, as, as you pointed out, Krishna, I think so far he has only heard about rituals. And when he heard about this karma yoga, he, he uh, that actually catches his attention um, saying, this is something uh, that's interesting to me and wants to, wants to hear more. So um, yeah, th- that is another one. So again, uh, Many of you may know this already, but I, I realized that they actually the the words are actually they, um, may have to be rearranged in some in in some of these verses, right? So uh, here also there is yeda and tada uh, in fifty three, uh, and just that they don't actually start with yeda tada, right? Because of the meter and having to adjust. So th- that is something that I, I realized in many verses, they you have to rearrange the words actually get it right. Um, and yeah, that, that was just an aha moment for me. <laughs> I didn't realize it all these all these years. Um, anyway,
1: yeah, just, just with a thing on Sanskrit, in Sanskrit, uh, uh, sure, you can actually uh, you know put words
4: anywhere. Anywhere, anywhere.
1: And, and therefore, like you said, it kind of goes with the meter as opposed to following a certain thing.
4: And often uh, you start from the right. So uh, in this, in 53, it's yeda Te, Shruti, Pratipanna, right? I mean, you, you start like this and it starts to make more sense as in, in the way you think.
1: Uh,
0: uh, so. Actually, if anybody is interested in, there is an Anvay Gita. So where after the shloka, it gives the order of the words and its meanings. So if you want to read it the way we are used to in English, yeah. that, you know, the, the way it should appear, right? So is <laughs> actually the Anvay Gita, so you can read it in the form of statements. Um, Got it. Statement word comes first. So sometimes it's actually first and second line across yes, those.
4: Two. it across those two. Yeah, yeah.
5: What is it called? What is it called?
0: It's called Anvaya Gita. But I'll, I'll send you, actually, Sadak Sanjeevni also has the same thing. Um, but uh, it's, no, it's, it's called as unware of anything when it's in the same, in the order of, you know, the way you read it.
4: Yeah. Like in 53, the tada is actually part of Buddhist tada. So you would think it's, <laughs> when you read it, you would think it's part of one word, but then you break it and yeah. then um, move the tada uh, to the other side and then start to make sense. Then it starts to make sense. Um, it, it was an aha moment for me. I didn't know this and I uh, just thought I'll share it.
3: Yeah, actually, on the Sanskrit documents uh, website, also it's freely available on the HTML format as well. So it gives three things. So one will be the shloka, and then the next one, the word will be split into individual words, and then the third will be the krama of it. Like, so it will be the word it's reordered in a way. So to see it evolve in three forms, uh, it, it's very uh, very nice yeah. to see how they are they are put together.
4: Okay, thanks.
0: Actually, Swami SPG's uh, explanation of this samadha was very interesting. And he also said that he went through a number of commentaries to that everybody, um, you know, unanimously says this doesn't mean samadhi of the Patanjali Yoga. And it actually means the, the state in which the mind gets absorbed, not the absorption of the mind but where it gets absorbed. So that's why it is known as, some people uh, translate it as Brahman or Paramatma. So where it gets absorbed, not the absorption of the mind. So so that's how this word Samadhi in both these verses need to be interpreted. So Samadhist is one who is established in Brahman, not established in Samadhi. Samadhi is a state in which the mind is. So not the, the Patanjali yoga, Oh,
4: yeah. Somewhere. Yeah. Interesting. So, with fifty-four, it's entering a new section, right? Basically, it's a new section. Um, very interesting and very important section, in my opinion, uh, with uh, the explanation of a person with uh, um, with steady wisdom. That's that is sthita prajna, right? So, prajna, the word is also interesting, which is um, so far we have heard mind and intellect. So. Um, I'm just wondering, is wisdom uh, beyond the intellect as an in a, a higher level of the intellect? Uh, do we look at it that way? Uh, and Sita Pregna then means somebody with steady wisdom. I, I'm, I'm just posing it as a question. I'm, uh, I, I, that's how I interpreted it. I'm just wondering if that's the case.
0: Ajay, you are on mute
4: some
1: commentaries talk about it as steady intellect, but I think uh, you are right, Krishna. I think it should probably mean steady in the self-knowledge about who am I. Uh, So it's more around the wisdom that you said as opposed to intellect. And uh, I mean, the way I sort of think about it is that, you know, and this happens to me off and on, and I'm sure many of you also would have experienced it, which is that... You know, you have this kind of thing that I get it. And the next moment you kind of go, I don't. Or you have doubts or whatever, right? Yeah. And I'm assuming that this kind of, you know, I do and I don't kind of feeling doesn't happen to a Right. That's, I guess, the the ultimate place to be, which, I guess, I mean, ever since we started a year and a half ago, I mean, uh, about a year ago, when we talked about who am I, Some some days it's crystal clear. The other days I'm thinking all this doesn't make sense. So yeah, it just
4: comes and goes. Yeah, and And we forget. Yeah, forget it. Also, right? I mean, when we are uh, in doing other things, we we are probably not established uh, in 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 a higher level of intellect anyway. So yeah, go ahead. Sorry.
0: No, no, no. I was saying the same thing. Yeah, that's for me. S. P. G. Also says the same thing that it's. uh, uh, he uses the word "stabilized system," um, so where, uh, where, yes, that he says, people like us, as if you know, <laughs> he says, people like us who get it one time, get the, we don't get it. So he uses exactly what you were saying, uh, Ajay, that you know, sometimes you're absolutely crystal clear, and then you go back to it. so when that is stabilized, so um, yeah, uh, Chitra, yes.
6: um okay so what i understood from last time when we were discussing is intellect is basically only uh, it analyzes whatever data is given to it it analyzes and comes to a decision uh so i'm wondering then wisdom uh, i mean how can wisdom be a higher intellect is the data coming in from a higher region is that what we are saying then
2: the way I think about it is that it's the distillation of all that intellect over a period of time.
6: I'll say that again, I couldn't hear you.
2: The way I think about that, what uh, uh, Kishore was saying is that wisdom is distillation of intellect over a longer period of time. And what you have assimilated and therefore, you know, what you have read, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, which perhaps goes into your memory bank and then gets processed into wisdom.
4: Yeah, uh, to add to that, I mean, uh, and what Ajay was saying earlier, it is is that um, the intellect questions, right, is this, um, and you know, it, it does the rational type of thinking. Those are also eventually come out as thoughts, but then those are mostly around making decisions or um, rationalizing something. But with this, as the wisdom gets um, solidified, those uh those things are more at a deeper level you kind of get it right so those are no longer um you don't have to rationalize that anymore it's it's understood at a deeper level so i i was thinking more around uh, 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 uh more depth of the intellect right it's still intellect but at a higher depth it's coming from something even more core right so if mind is like the surface of a lake and then intellect is a few um feet below, uh, wisdom might be still below. So it's it's coming at a from at a core level. So can, can you
2: say to think that- it? Yeah, I was just going to add, the other way to think about it is that you can say that intellect is very cold and logical, uh, but wisdom may not be so, right? Wisdom may have other uh, emotional angles, et cetera, et cetera. So with intellect, you are generally more, at least that's how I think about intellect, that you are very logical, very rational, very uh, systematic, right? And almost like a computer. Um, But whereas in wisdom, because, you know, some things may be not always logical. um, And you therefore, you know, know how to react to those kind of situations. Because if you, let's say, have thought about it and you have, heard about how to think through those kind of issues. So yeah, as Kishore is saying, it's like a higher order of intellect.
4: A deeper understanding, perhaps? I don't know. Uh, yeah. I don't know if we can say it that way.
1: I can, If I can add to that, uh, I was kind of, uh, this is exactly a question which uh, one of the lectures of Swami P. I think tries to address. And he kind of talks about uh, intellect as something which essentially is questioning. The whole idea of intellect is to question. Right. And he then talks about how Vairagyan is essentially a tool to silence that intellect. And, and that, you know, when the intellect kind of understands the, the ultimate self, uh, which is the ultimate truth, right? Then, you know, it doesn't need to question anything else because it now knows the ultimate uh, truth, Right. And that ultimate truth, you know, that comes out of this intellect, uh, this, process, this whole process, is that wisdom of the self. So in a way, sort of, you transcend intellect and get to the next thing. And that's how kind of, he explained it, which sort of made sense to me.
4: That makes yeah. absolute sense. Yeah. yeah.
6: Can, we, can we say then wisdom is tapping into something more larger and more universal versus intellect is only what we are exposed to? in whatever our
1: life is? Intellect probably is something that deals with sort of day-to-day life in the real world uh, and how do we rationalize things, et cetera, et cetera. But wisdom kind of takes it to a sort of spiritual level.
4: So yeah, maybe it's, um, it's, when I say uh, one level deeper, um, even those uh, decisions are based on something, isn't it? I mean, it needs to be um, anchored on something. Right, if you're making a decision, if this is right or this is not right, what is it based on? And that basis is that deeper understanding or the wisdom, right? So yeah, as an example, if that wisdom is established in the highest truth, then decisions might be that, hey, let this go. You know, this will also pass. Or those kind of decisions might come out of the intellect, right? Because you're 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 anchored on something much deeper and much uh, universal as well. So those decisions might be very different compared to many of us uh, where it is not anchored to that. And hence those decisions that come out of the intellect would be um, that of, hey, uh, craving or aversion in a way, right? So um, I, I, I see it as the core or a deeper depth rather of the, of the intellect.
0: Yeah, actually um my understanding is also same as what ajay was saying and so swami spg calls pragya itself as enlightened so yes i think we are talking about wisdom but but yeah wisdom at the viavaharic level is uh, i think what we were discussing earlier and uh, i think what uh, ajay was trying to say is actually it is it relates to just the enlightened one so there you know the one truth so there is no question left hence there is no decision making required because it's just one, right? So, so there are no questions and there are no answers as well, and you are established in that. So, um, so I think, uh, especially this pragya. So, I'm not talking about wisdom. I think uh, wisdom in general is the is the more deeper understanding of everything, but here pragya refers to actually uh, special wisdom, if we may call, uh, or enlightenment. Uh, I see many hands. I think Manu raised first. Over to you,
6: Manu.
0: Um, I was actually going to say the same thing that Kishore just said, that uh, I think wisdom basically brings together uh, you know, mm-hmm. the knowledge from the various experiences that you have and allows you to make a better decision, allows the intellect <coughs> to make a better decision. So it's just, uh, I think, a, a more developed intellect.
1: That's
3: how I see it. Can I just
6: add a sentence here? Uh, But there are a lot of, uh, including me, a lot of things we don't, even though we have faced so many situations, a lot of times we don't learn from it also this so um uh, in the sense that um, we are in the same wheel right we make the same decision again and again and we go through the same whatever consequence of our decision and we uh, so obviously we have not uh, so i'm wondering uh, does it need a different ingredient it's not just our experience but maybe also the reaction to our experience has to change right and for that you need something else um, Otherwise, you would be stuck on the same same wheel. Um, so I think maybe that's why I was wondering. It needs an extra, whatever, spoke or an extra. I don't know.
4: I, I think you bring up a very good point, uh, uh, Chitra. See, um, I, I, you know, uh, one way you it changes, right? See, finally, we know it changes. It, um, it's not uh, when you say it the the whole decision making in the intellect and the mind it changes over a period of time especially on this path it does change so watching this and, um, one uh, aspect of it is the discrimination or the discriminative capabilities right so that is the one that eventually leads to dispassion but uh, in the discrimination it could be that hey why why am I um, uh, you know having an aversion towards this or why am I having a craving towards the other one, right? That mental dialogue eventually leads uh, to a higher level of understanding, right? So once, as an example, let's say we are desirous of a certain result, but then if we ask ourselves, um, why is that happening, right? So, uh, you know, I, I I was just watching my son plays uh, tournament yesterday. I mean, it obviously, it's, I, I find initially I, many years ago I used to find it very hard to watch him play because you, you have a very strong attachment. Uh, you just, you know, you <laughs> you, you just get frustrated. Um, and but then the question is the the internal question. I, these days I don't. I, I'm, it's okay, right? Because the the question, mental question. Again, I'm putting it in very simple, practical terms. You may or may not. I think, but then, um uh, is that um, you you ask, okay, what is the larger picture? Because in this particular case, okay, you ought to get better as a player. So then oftentimes when you lose, you actually get better as a player. So then what is the point? right? Why am I desirous of him winning? Um, why should it not be lost? And at the same time, the other uh, uh, person the his opponent, uh, it's the same way, why can't he win, right? So it's, it's like asking these things and slowing things down. So um, those thoughts that cause that frustration will slow down eventually, right? Because there is a deeper level of understanding that uh, does not lead to those thoughts that irritate or frustrate or cause agitation. And that slows things down, right? So a deeper level of understanding, at least in this aspect, slowed it down.
5: Alpana, you're on
3: mute. It got uh, covered, uh, but uh, Alpana, when you refer to enlightened one in Swamiji's lecture, do you also mean somewhere the sthita prajna is not just understanding and knowledge, but also powered by experience?
0: Absolutely. It is the, the one who is enlightened. We only say not just by understanding what it means, but actually being enlightened. So so that's what you hear. here. And Sthita pragna, you're referring to an enlightened?
3: Yes. Okay. Just on the vocabulary,
1: Alpana, what is the difference between Sthita pragnya in the first uh, part of the shloka and Sthita dhi, I think, in the second part?
0: Sthita dhi, dhi? is buddhi. So actually that okay. is where... It, refers to intellect, where the intellect is sthir, sthir is it's not wavering.
3: Steady, steady mind, steady Steady intellect.
0: Steady intellect. Intellect is sthita and stabilized wisdom is uh, sthita pragya and uh, uh, stabilized uh, special wisdom, enlightened wisdom is the sthita pragya. Yes, Mukhu.
7: Hi, thanks. So I think the sthidha prajna, the enlightened wisdom, the way I've seen it also with my guru and I've understood it, uh, is not even an experience. It's like, I think the closest English word is om- omniscience, right? Um, One is learn, I learn a subject, I have an experience, I remember, that's kind of what we are all used to. Uh, but the sthidha prajna is almost like a Google, right? A question is asked, an answer pops up. Uh, and it's just from that consciousness, which has all happened in the humanity, which is all going to happen in the future. It's, 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 it's a different level of activity itself. I think a lot of good examples uh, uh, in Shankara's life, um, he, he goes once to, uh, um, a cobbler challenges him, right? Uh, because in, a, in those days, people need to go and you know, talk to people, okay. debate to be accepted as, as, a, uh, as an enlightened master. Uh, so a cobbler challenges him at one point, um saying okay if you are really truly enlightened uh, show me um, how do you sew a, a chapel right or a pawn leather so one of the things the cobbler does always is very subtle nobody else knows this right when he takes the needle because the needle is dry he will first poke it into the leather because leather has oil right that's the first thing they will always do just dip it into the leather and then they'll start sewing right so Shankara takes it's never, he's not, he's not that Shankara has ever done be a cobbler or he's not done a co- cobbling school. Like right? he takes that chapel and then he just it just comes naturally, right? he'll first dip it because his the consciousness is powering his body now. He dips it and starts stitching. Right there he says he falls at his feet and says you are you're omniscient. As just an example. I mean a lot of lot of such examples are there in our, our uh, historical scriptures, but that is prajna, that needs no learning. Uh, It just is a Google, Google is a good way to understand you pop in a question outcome of collective consciousness comes a response back. And when it happens that way, there is no doubt, because it is happening, it just is 100% consciousness. Uh, That's, that's why that's how I differentiate that, uh, that word. Very nicely
0: said, Mukul. Another example. It is
6: not learned, right? It is not learned. It is something that comes.
7: Correct. It's, it's, it's actually all the learnings of the consciousness, oh. right? Of the past and the future and everything else. It's like supreme intelligence.
0: Ah, supreme intelligence. Intelligence is still part of Maya. So it's beyond that, right? Yeah,
7: it's a step further. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Alpna, you're right. I should not use intelligence as a word. Just, yeah, yeah. These are all very difficult to
0: Any verbalize. Word you
7: <laughs> yeah, you are right. You are absolutely right. It is. It is.
0: <laughs> Another example which Swami S.P.G. gave and was quite interesting was: uh, uh, Do you see your face? You use a mirror and you see it, but then you don't carry the mirror with you to always know that you have a face, right? Somewhere, somewhere, you know it, right? So this is something like sthiti It knows that it is. That, but it doesn't know through the intellect or mind or anything. But it knows, and it is the only thing that is there. So yeah, but but the words are just uh, any word you use uh, can mislead as well. So yeah, but yes. it's a...
3: actually, so we to need connect... To develop
6: English language now, English vocabulary needs to be developed.
3: <laughs> very very true. Well said. Yeah,
0: even Sanskrit can't explain it. It's beyond words.
3: Beyond
4: words. <laughs>
0: But then he, he can do it.
4: Yeah. You know. But but then the the he does answer it in the next. Even in starting with this uh, with 55, uh, you know, Sri Krishna's answer is about how does uh, w- w- how does this person what is this person's attitude, right? How does he carry himself about or herself about in society? But that's uh, that's more that's how Arjuna has asked it. But then. Um, uh, it is more about his attitude with which he does things right rather than uh, what he does or what she uh, how she sits or how uh, you know so it's more around what is the underlying attitude with which everything is done right mm-hmm. so th- the uh, to me the at- atman yeva at- atmanatushtha i think that's th- th- that's in, in my opinion it should be one of the mahavakyas it, it, it pretty much has the same uh kind of you yep. know it, it states a lot in small in three three words if you will
0: yeah and uh before just going into that uh, a quick thing that Swami SVG added was that um so so there's one thing so, so so I think this question is how it appears to the person watching from outside so it's not from sithpragya's angle first of all so i think that needs to be very clear because sithpragya himself cannot answer this question <laughs> uh, it's only from the outside so i think uh, how does he appear to be talking walking etc cetera, etc cetera? because for the sithpragya uh he he quotes a very very nice question and answer that they had asked one of the presidents of the order that how does a uh, enlightened being behave, etc. Right? So he said that is how you see. So, so immediately everybody said, "Yeah, we want to know from their side. You know, how do they, how do they see everything around?" And his answer was, "Who sees?"
2: Yeah, I remember that one, Alpna. That was yeah. a beautiful one. I think it was one of the one of the old monks who was. Uh, right. basically suffering and, and everybody's collected around his room. Yeah, that, that was a phenomenal story.
0: I think uh, Bhutesha Anand yeah. Yes,
2: yeah. Mm. So, so I, I think that, that
0: one thing we, he wanted to make very clear that, you know, it is not from the sthita pragyas. Because whenever we answer the question, we try to answer it from their perspective. No, it is from the perspective of how it appears. Yeah, and then I think what uh, Kishore was saying is beautiful, this atmanye
6: Vatmanatushtaha. So this is, uh, this is Arjuna's question, right? He wants to know how he will see. Correct. Because he's, yes. he's still not in pragya. So he's asking, how will I identify such a person, right? And I'm assuming that's what the question is and that's what he's answering.
0: Uh, I think, uh, the, I, I'm not sure whether he understand it, ha, understands it at this point in time. So he wants to know how he walks, talks, etc. It could be he's interested in knowing from his angle as well. Oh. I thought yeah. that's what he's asking. Like, if one is in this state, how would one behave, and so that he knows how he should behave if he were to, you know, how would he get to that state?
4: Yeah, right. And how he will recognize. But um, yeah. you know, Arjuna's question is a little more um, obviously an, a novice, a question from a novice who does not understand it yet, right? And but I think when Krishna answers it he answers it uh, uh, kind of ignoring the original question and not answering to the point of the original question, but then says what he wants to say, right? It it is like a, uh, it's like when a small child asks a question and you you know that they have got a few things, but not everything right, but you just say the right answer anyway, right? So it's almost like that because the question is a very um, kind of naive question, right? How does a person sit and, and walk yeah. and speak. So, yeah.
3: yeah. Actually, the way they you, uh, the, that Swami uh, D had used this also, what I think Buku had said in one of the earlier GDs, he answers the person and not the actual question itself. And to connect it back, like, so the, the reason Arjuna asks, the other way of looking at it is also that he's very curious to know that if this very enlightened person uh, if you become such an enlightened person, will you still be able to connect with the real world, or are you always going to be in this eternal happiness and not? Samadhi. So, once again, he a little bit confuses with oh, he this person becomes completely inactive, like they, don't, they yeah. don't participate in the real world, or may not participate in small things like battle or anything. So, and that is like the other motive. He wants to know, even if I become enlightened, can I still then participate in the daily life, real world, or something? So, that's a nice angle, yeah. To that. Yeah. uh and to uh, chitra go back one more thing you are asking so none of the previous shlokas also it kind of the that describes that the, the way we learn this about like like a lot of the karma phala that we get used to is the one that we uh, generally focus on and that is why uh, the the preaching is that like we always keep kind of thinking about these things but we have to have that ekabuddhi that, that that the ultimate realization that moksha is what we are doing this karma kanda, the karma yoga should not be again tied up back to karma kanda and where, where we are doing something that will get in this life or even in heaven or after life. We the one the only goal after this is moksha. So when you have that Ekabuddhi, buddhi, then everything else will kind of fall into place. And that's uh, and then, then the path is also the karma yoga path where we do Samatvam and with kaushalam. So yeah.
6: That is uh, that is true, Krishna. And I think all of us uh, have experienced it sometime or the other in our life, right? Because uh, when we actually actually surrender, not like by words, but we, then the path opens up for all of us. We've all seen that, you know. We've all been through situations where we we couldn't find a solution, yep. and the, the universe or whatever, Param Purusha, whatever we call. I mean, has so. I think. That part, I think I definitely agree. I think what I'm trying to grapple with is um, how do we bring it into our daily life, into our everyday action? I think that's what, uh, that's the more important thing, right? That is a one once in a while, you get those really bad, difficult moments. But how do you do it as an everyday, right? You know, Uh,
3: that's what. Yeah.
5: Two parts to the uh, question that uh, Jinnah was asking. So one is, you know, how does he, um, what does he look like? And I mean, basically, how does he react to external situations? And how does he react? uh, or or, or How does he handle things within himself? Is is my understanding correct? Or is it only the, uh, you know, how does he react to external stimuli? Is it only that? The
0: first part is the internal one. Um, which is, uh, what is Kaabhasha is, what is the definition? So internally, how he is. So that's the first part of the question. And then the second one is more external, which is how he walks, talks and and sits. So yes, it has both the questions. Internally, how he feels and externally, how he behaves.
1: Okay. So it, it's, the first part is about sort of, uh, you know, what is the sort of characteristics or lakshana of a Prathina? Of
0: Yeah, so So, internally, how he is,
1: basically. The things that you would like to kind of know, so that you can sort of perhaps do them as well, right? But externally, I think you're right. It is, uh, you know, it talks about talk, which is more around how does he respond to uh, situations. The Sit is more around sort of how does he control himself or, uh, you know, when faced with, again, an external stimuli, I'm assuming. And then walk is also the analogy is that how does he interact with everyone else right so i, I think i am I, not so sure, sure i mean you might know this but i'm assuming a lot of this will get covered in the future shlokas but it is not as simple as talking and sitting and walking yeah,
0: you're it's, absolutely it's, right it is right. Yeah. walk is how he acts interacts etc
1: etc how he responds how he interacts how he controls himself i think those are the kind of uh yeah. thoughts yeah, I understood
5: as walk and sit are almost like you know uh, it's like opposite of each other. Like you know, when he is walking means when he's in action, how does he carry out things? And when he is when he says sit means you know when he is uh, in a state of inaction, what how does
1: he? Do?
0: How he withdraws.
1: How he withdraws.
5: just wanted to, you know, I know from 55 to 71, the rest of the chapter is on uh, this whole thing, you know, just more like a, a jnana, jnana Yoga only. So, uh, you know, in Professor VK's book, I just want to read a small para, you know, which I thought will be relevant. So he says that, you know, um, basically this observation was made by the Paramacharya of Kanchi. So he says that, you know, all books deal with this portion as if it is a description of an ideal person. Uh, technically, that may not be correct. Uh, that technically that may be correct, but what we must know is that every one of us can rise up to this level. We have to keep in a, keep it as our goal, and so uh, and uh, you know so that everybody can reach this, can make ref- efforts to reach the goal. Yep. I think that,
0: very well said. Yeah. yeah. So even S uh, P G says, use this to check for self and not for others. So that's one piece, how much we have progressed, but only for the self. And then the second is, yes, um, characteristics for enlightened are practices for us seekers. Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) Right, right, right.
6: Can you repeat the second one, Alpana? I didn't hear it. Uh,
0: uh, Characteristics for enlightened. So what are their characteristics? Those, those character are practices for us seekers. So, as you know, Satya was saying, trying to be, you know, what do, what should we aim to be, or what should we try to be, or act, How
6: and our checkpoints. A hmm. checkpoints, right? I mean, something like, uh, uh, have I really reached there or not? You know, am I still having what this? Is the
5: one is a checkpoint, second hours. is like a guide, actually. Am I you making... Like a guide, a reference point, saying that, okay, uh, he has these characteristics, so let me also follow this. And another is to check myself.
6: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Both together. Okay.
1: I think the questions are clear, up
0: the questions are clear okay so the first answer we'll go to <laughs> which i think yeah kishore did start on it Atmanye vatmana tushtaha. <laughs> so the word tushtaha means um fulfilled contented okay. uh, delighted happy happiness um, and it says in the first line in the beginning that rajahati yada kaman rajahati is Um, Bhali Bhati is. Uh,
4: Give up. Fully. Yeah. Fully. Puli. Give Puli. up completely.
0: Give up completely. Completely. Yeah. So I think that word completely is very important. And again, going back to Swami SPG, he says that, you know, we still think that I'll still keep a torchlight even though the sun is shining. I'll keep it on just in case <laughs> sunshine is not enough. So. He still have can I can I keep little bit of desires? <laughs> so he he says you know some of these things that uh, when you are asked to cut the weed you you can just use a sickle to cut it but then no you have to uproot it otherwise it will grow again. So and then the third one is he was actually uh, polishing a a vase and. and and somebody passed by and said, what are you doing? He said, I'm just polishing this. He said, no, 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 you're polishing your mind, not the flowers, vase, flower vase. No. Yeah. So yeah. I think, meaning you have to, um, I think he tries to relate, it, relate to it that you know you have to completely give up your desires, not keep little bit here. OK, maybe I can do with little bit. And so it has to be completely given up or at least the sthita has already given it up and that's
4: what we should so, so here's a question, right? I mean, um, is it possible to give up desires or do desires cast off, right? I mean, it, it falls away when... So, um, you, you know, um, can you will a desire to go away versus the desires go away because you have gone past it? Right. As an example, um, given in one of the talks I heard was, you know, as a child, we may have uh, thrown a tantrum to get a three wheel, three wheeler bicycle, uh, sorry, cycle. And then eventually you grow out of it. And even though the, the tricycle is there, it's no longer giving you the same pleasure as it used to. And, and you, you were claiming for earlier. And then we go to a bicycle. Right. And I remember throwing a tantrum to get my first bike um, and and eventually getting it. And after a couple of years, then you want a motorbike, right? And then a few years later, you want a car and so on, right? So the desire for the bike went away when I desired for something higher, right? Like a motorbike, right? And that went away when I aimed higher, right? Or aimed for the desire shifted rather to something different. So the previous one went away by itself. I didn't have to strongly will that, hey, I'll no longer like the bike, right? It went away because I desired for something else. So here when they say um, the, when Sarvan Kaman Prajahati, right? So which is basically all desires have gone away, right? Because they have, uh, their understanding has reached a higher level. Maybe the desire for self-realization, which is the ultimate desire in this path, um, caused other desires to cast off and fall away by the wayside so and then when they have reached there could it mean that um, versus giving up desires in a willful, willfully giving up desires, which is usually not possible right because those seeds are there uh, deep in our subconscious in our uh, as part of our uh, vasanas so how do you get rid of it willfully right I mean I just want to bring that up as a discussion point because Uh, we we often think it is suppression or willfully giving up but it is not, Um, it is not that, it is the understanding that dawns which leads to those desires going away, that deeper understanding dawns right which causes this to go away and that's the discriminative part that they talk about in in um, uh, Tattva Bodha where when we talk of one of the D's which is the discrimination, dispassion So, that discrimination is that uh, dawning of a higher level of understanding, which leads to desires falling off. So,
0: absolutely.
6: Go ahead, go ahead,
0: (laughs) I was just saying that uh, uh, actually, that's why they are in that order. Uh, You need to start with Vivek. So, if Varaki is not there, that means you need to work on Vivek. Mm -hmm. And then the Varaki
4: will come uh, again as an extension of that route. No, right? It's not something that can be... Uh, it, it comes through this path. Correct.
0: Right. Because in the example of the cycle, I think that when the dawning will happen, that there's nowhere to go.
3: So yes. Whether
0: a cycle or a motorcycle or anything, what Still, will Yeah. What Yeah. You cannot go anywhere. There is no place to...
4: But, you know, but it is there in front of our eyes, right? If you, if we analyze our own life and see the different things that we threw a tantrum for, if you will, right? and uh, once we got it, what happened? Um, did that solve everything? Did that, did that give us happiness that lasted for a very long time and it's still lasting? No, uh, it lasted for a brief amount of time. It went away. Then we started um, uh, going after something else and then that also went away. So just even by looking at it with the, uh, with this lens and to understand it at a deeper level gives that, that's a mental dialogue, right? Mental understanding that changes. Uh, and then with that, once that understanding is, it starts to develop uh, to a certain level. When we see a new thing, um, that craving is not the same anymore. The craving is stopped or slowing down. So y- you, you, um, Realise that hey i uh, you learn to accept it then because the okay, if it comes it's good, if it doesn't come that's also good right so that starts to develop because you have uh, understood it at least slightly uh, to the extent that even if I really get it, where is it going to lead me uh, after this? maybe it will give me a few days, few hours few uh, weeks of quote unquote happiness, and after that again I'm back on this wheel um so uh, yeah, uh, I think that's an important step in this whole thing.
1: So, just just on that point, uh, Kishore, I mean, I think one of the questions that I always kind of have is that as long as you are in the human body, uh, to say that desires go away, uh, that's something which I, 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 was, I was kind of thinking about. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and the way it, one of the commentaries I was reading is that. You do not sort of, all the desires do not go away or disappear or whatever, but essentially, and I think you mentioned this in one of the earlier GDs, that you're basically converting your binding desire. Binding
4: to mount. That's perfect. Yeah, exactly.
1: desires become preferences as opposed to a kind of a binding desire. So I think that's kind of something which which sort of makes sense. And 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 therefore, you know, this 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 uh, Mahavakya that you mentioned about Atmane Atmana Tushtata. I think Tushtata is comes from Santusht, maybe, uh, which is uh, satisfied, contented. And, and I think, you know, one sort of translation is that you are basically independent of external factors for happiness. Practice. Exactly. Emotionally independent. So and and that kind of again links back to the desire point, which is. If you if you don't have binding desires, then you are not dependent externally. Externally. Get to the
4: same point. Very, very good point, Ajay. Just a quick point on the I know Chitra, you have raised your hand. Just to complete this binding desires. If you look at it as this way, um, and to me it became very clear when I heard this, binding desires are those desires that cause suffering if you don't get it. Non-binding desires, yeah, binding desires are those that cause suffering when we don't get it and non-binding is preference. Okay, yeah, given a certain type of food, yeah, I prefer X. If it is not there, it's okay, I will eat Y, right? So it's it's like that, it, it's like there is a preference, there is a desire for one, but if it's not there, it's okay. But the binding one causes suffering and it causes that craving or the aversion, right? But when you convert, when that gets converted, because of a deeper understanding, the binding ones become non-binding ones. So the desires are still there, but there are many, many non-binding ones. And th- there is acceptance in a non-binding one because it's a preference, right? Chitra?
6: Yeah, um, just wanted to say, um, but I think we have to start with willing some of the desires away. Eventually, we will reach that point, what you're saying, Kishore. But like uh, something as simple as like, now you're doing a Chaturmas fasting, right? It is, you are willing it. You are making oh, yes. it, right? So I think that is the first step is like, sure. you say, okay, I'm going to whatever give up tea because, you know, it is rajasik or whatever. I mean, you make your decisions on what, I'm just taking very simple examples. I think later when we... Uh, Actually, our desire for moksha is so strong that I'm living and breathing it. Maybe that's when all the desires fall away. But I think we have to first take this first step of saying, okay, you know, let me see, can I do it? And then maybe over time your body gets used to it, or you know, your mind gets used to it, or your. And then maybe later I'm thinking is what you were saying would happen, right?
4: You know, think of it as um, many steps, right? It's like, um, well, I think when you climb Everest, there are multiple base camps along the way. So uh, the desire could be for um, the higher level, one level higher base camp, right? And eventually, like, so going from a tricycle to bike to a motorbike to a car, I mean, in the same way, in the sense that it could be initially about, um, having an equanimous mind. And and then later, eventually, it could be about that self-realization goal, right? Because we know overall that's where we're headed. But then there are many steps along the way, many base camps along the way. Um, So uh, in in that sense, that that could be uh, one level higher uh, desire that helps cast off the normal desires, right?
5: Just, that's where the sadhana chatushtam that Alpana uh, talked about will come in, in the same order, like, you know, having, like, the example that you gave on uh, giving up tea, so you first create a Vivek that, you know, it it is, it is not, uh, when it is causing me this kind of uh, behavior and I want to give up, but then that leads you to Vairagya, right? So, and probably, you know, it'll go in that step, then you will reach the state that... Uh, you know, that, that we all desire
0: to be. Yeah, I just wanted to, yeah, Muko, I know your uh, hand is raised, just wanted to say one thing in this one, that every individual has three desires, three core desires. And in Sanskrit, I'll give the words first. Jijivisha, Jigyasa, and uh, Mubhukshutva. Jijivisha is the desire to live. Jigyasa is desire to know. And bubukshvam is desire to uh, bhog, bhogne ki is uh, um, pleasure, for pleasure. So these are the three desires that every individual has. So the only way to get what at least the scriptures say, the only way is you, as uh, Kishore, you were saying, a higher desire. So the moment you bring in that mumukshutvam, these three desires will follow. So i just you know it's it's more of a scriptural uh, notation that they use that these three desires are otherwise always there so any desire you can think of can be categorized in one of these three uh, so if you if you can replace them with just mumukshitvam, that takes away all the th- all the desires actually
4: they will in, the, in in that um, is the uh, uh, um artha, i mean kama artha, Dharma. I mean, we can also it's say dharma, artha, kama, moksha. Also, in the same way. Those
0: are, those are called purusharth.
4: Yeah, the purusharthas can be also say it in the same way. As an in initially, it's it's pleasure, and then later on, it becomes wealth because it's slightly higher. Uh, it lasts for a slightly longer time, and then when you have wealth and pleasure, you look for purpose in life, and which um, and so you, you crave after some kind of purpose, and you look after uh, you look for that because you feel that when you do th- something with purpose, it lasts for a, the satisfaction lasts for a longer time. But even that eventually, you know, that that also ends. Um, and then you start to look beyond that,
7: which would be the motion, right?
0: Over to you, Mukhu, sorry.
7: Uh, good, good comments. Uh, so just the way uh, the, this whole desire, it's actually actually is a great discussion, right? Because it's a it's constant struggle. For a lot of us, yeah. Um, what my personal kind of understanding is that, as you kind of go through this journey, you know, you, you you replace with the higher desire, and and then you keep replacing. At one point, I think there's a clear understanding. It's not about the higher or lower. It's the change in direction, right? The change in direction is nothing from outside could give you the fulfillment, right? Yeah. That's the shift. That's a yeah. tipping point. Right. Uh, right. So it's it's almost like, you know, you fail five times to realize that that's not your cup of tea, right? You know, that's not. So I think really that's the journey uh, it is. But the tipping point is really the shift in um, direction. And I've seen also that shifting direction doesn't need all the hundred steps, right? Some people just get the shift like that. It's sure. maybe the, you know, they say the last Janma, whatever the thing they did, practices they did. But it's like almost like you touch the fire once, you don't go touch it again, right? So that is why some some people just, you know, the first incident, uh, like in Buddha saw the death, all he needed was just that to move him saying this, none of this is going to give me fulfillment, right? Just the clarity and go away. So this, those are, that's kind of how I see it is really the, it's a shift when it happens in the being. Uh, that is the tipping point. And then, and at that point, every desire becomes redundant. It's not the desire exists or not, whether you have a cup of tea or not, that's, that's almost like redundant, right? Because it is there. You will drink. It's not there. It still doesn't bother you. It's a very beautiful space. I think all the enlightened people, enlightened people live. Uh, It's not that they're bound. Nor it's not like they don't drink tea. Uh, They they do the karma, but just they are absolutely unbound by any of that. That's a beauty, just like a flow. Uh, That's that's how I understand that, and I've seen it with my guru also. That same thing. Yes. absolutely. Well said. Well said. Beautiful.
4: So uh, one more thing I heard about uh, the Atmani, Eva, Atman, Atushtaha is that um, of emotional independence. Uh, I think you touched upon this, uh, Ajay, um, in the sense that since you're very contented, satisfied with, by the self and um, in the self, right, and that understanding is there, you no longer are dependent on anything outside and it's not just things, but also people or situations, right? Anything external uh, to give you any higher level of contentment, right? I mean, you understand that it's not uh, going to give you that and hence uh, that it dev- you develop a uh, complete emotional independence. You just, um, um, and that's also a beautiful place to be, right? Because you're no longer, Clinging or doing any of those, but it's you're just completely accepting of uh, the situations and everything else around you.
7: Uh,
4: Again, uh, relates to equanimity as well. So that uh, you know, at at some level, so. This also has Yada and Tada, by the way. <laughs> I, I've been noticing it now, now that I understand.
0: Anyone else anything?
7: Uh, just a
3: comment on the uh, the renouncing part. Like what we think of as sannyasis giving renouncing or uh, renouncing all the worldly things, to them it doesn't look like sacrificing. For them it is not sacrificing. It's just that they have kind of completely gone to another level and they know what the moksha part is. So they are very clear about their goal. So it's not like they are sacrificing and they are just doing it willingly. Uh, that That I thought was very well explained how that frame of mind is. And when you evolve, Swami uh, P had like a very nice example about uh, Mumukshatva. He brings a very good example of a kid playing with toys, a very small child, and the mother wants to distract and say, Hey, come, you have to now eat food. Uh, But the child is always playing, continues to play with the toys. But if the mother, uh, okay, you just play and like ignores for a while, after a moment, the the kid starts getting more and more hungry. And then after some point, they won't even be distracted by any new toy, even if you willingly give them a new toy to play with, they won't. They'll start throwing out all the toys and completely come to the mom now and then say, hey, I'm really hungry now. Please feed me. So he kind of compares it to us, to our normal life, how we kind of keep playing with toys and then we indulge in one thing or the another. But as we get this knowledge and like read the scriptures and slowly get this hunger, which he compares to the Moksha oh, I need this ultimate desire. That's like the main thing that I want that we would also start dropping all the toys and then the the food is like the hunger thing is the only thing that needs to be taken care of, then the moksha term is the only one that remains and, and you just keep going for moksha, nothing else on the way.
1: So in trying to explain uh, this point about what is attachment, uh, I read this very interesting sort of uh, commentary on how attachment and love are different, right? And we often sort of, you know, particularly in a personal sort of life, we, we often sort of, you know, use love and attachment sort of synonymously, right? And he gave a very simple, very basic sort of way of understanding it. He said, he says attachment is based on dependence. If you depend on something, you are attached. It is about, what can I get from somebody? So in a way, it is control-based, right? Uh, it's about me. What can I do for myself? You know. So attachment is very uh, selfish in that sense. Whereas love is is unconditional. It comes from a from stable mind, and it is about giving. It's about freedom. It's about freedom from raga, which is attachment. Okay. So quite uh, quite a nice simple way of explaining the two differences, but uh, but you know at, at some level the sthita pragnaya is is uh, established in love as opposed to raga which is attachment. Very nice.
4: very very good point and important point uh, there Ajay yeah.
1: In fact S P G kind of says something very interesting about the sthita pragnya he says. A Sita may be alone, but he's never
4: lonely. <laughs> <laughs> he has a, he has yes, a very sir. good word. Words. words. Yeah. <laughs> very well. Very so, in one of the uh, commentaries I'm, I'm listening to, um, uh, I, I, he did mention a word, uh, uh, sneha, right? In Sanskrit, sneha is different from Sneha in Hindi right in Sanskrit it actually refers to attachment and in Hindi it's roughly translated to love right so uh, he did um, he did mention he he spoke about the exact same thing that you are talking about attachment is is about thinking it's about what can this is for me I mean uh, the center anchor point is me and I want you to do x y and z because it's that's uh, that's how i because i want it right love is about giving it's the other way around right it's 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 unconditional and uh that emotional dependence is not there if you if you stay here close to me then i'm happy if not you know it, that is not there in 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 the the in love rather than in attachment that is there so yeah he was he did talk about uh there's difference and it's, it's an important one. And it's also mentioned, uh, actually, this Atmani, uh, Atmani Eva Atmanathushta uh, kind of touches upon that in many ways because of the emotional independence angle uh, aspect to it. Absolutely.
6: That's it. So if they are emotionally independent, that means they're very deep, the love is very deep. Unconditional.
4: Unconditional. Yeah, and they love everything.
6: They love every, yes. I mean, I'm assuming they love everything. So
4: because they they're not looking for something for themselves out of it. It's it's giving. Mm. Right. Because you know, if you're already um, extremely contented, in such a person who's extremely contented, that the another drop of water is not going to add more to an ocean, right? It's already there. So um, they're, they're not looking for something, they're not craving for something, uh, whether it's sort of a relationship or a situation or whatnot. They are willing, at, at this point, they can, they can
7: just give. Muku. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a very subtle discussion, right? Uh, in fact, many years back when I asked my guru the same question, right? How does he see it, right? we call it love, compassion, overflowing. He says that um, from the perspective of the enlightened being, Arasthita Prashant, this example, um, he there is no giving, he's not trying to help. There's no desire to help. There is no, um, it just is overflowing. The way he explained it, it's, it is just as happening. Like the sun yeah. itself doesn't know that it's giving the radiates. We just interpret it as love, compassion. Uh, that's that's exactly what he said. There's no effort from his side sure. uh, to do it at all, right? And he, he just could be sitting, I think, to the point lonely and alone. He just could be sitting quietly, and the same thing is happening inside. Something in com- comes in front of him, the response happens. Uh, but the, again, the response has got no desire to help, no judgment on the questioner or none, any of that. It just is an overflowing and it, he says, it, you, you, "You all will call it love, compassion, or unconditional love." But from his side, there's no effort. None of those words exist when this when this transaction happens. That's how we put it. Just a perspective, Because
6: maybe from your guru's point of view, it's not a transaction. It is just another event, right?
7: Yeah, it's, a, it's a happening. It's like a yeah. like a it's river just, flowing, right? Yeah, it's a yeah. flow. Yeah yeah it's a flow mm. that's maybe the closest english way to put it, it yeah. it's a it's a it's a way that happens that's all i, I a tell of, you, you
1: it's a question of which direction you look from i think you write right, Muku, from from this tita pragnas point of view it's an overflow it's
7: effortless it just happens whereas the way we look at it from the other side i'm assuming correct is, it, yeah. right. thank you for that yeah absolutely ajay that's we feel it that way but there's no effort from that side is what how we explain mm. it. correct but we all feel it that way who sees? Yeah. Yes, so if, if you I, don't
6: classify, sees. if you don't classify anything at all, we'll become siddha Pragya. <laughs> I'm wondering. So no classifications.
0: <laughs> yeah, yes. Pretty much. <laughs> I think another point which I uh, which I noted is uh, he uses the word tushta and not anand. You know. Because I think the way we think of Anand is something which is experienced, exhilarating feeling, etc., right? Whereas Anand is not the felt experience. What we experience as happiness is a reflected Anand. So Anand in itself is not an exhilarating experience or anything. You know, it is just a absence of sorrow, you can put it that way. But it doesn't... It's um, I think how he tried to explain was, uh, it's not a felt experience. Yeah.
4: Because mm-hmm. if it's an experience, it's going to come and go immediately. Right. I mean, but this stays.
0: Then it's an object. In, if it's yeah. a, it's experience, then it's an object of experience. It's not.
4: Like,
1: if you're just happy where you are. You have, you just don't need anything. Right? You're just there. You're floating in that sort of space kind of thing, right?
6: Right. Maybe because that's why they say it's indescribable. Because obviously we have not experienced it, so we we can only relate to what we have experienced, right? And so we really don't know what they experience. <laughs> no, the point is they don't experience it.
0: Don't ah, that's experience.
6: what I'm saying. What I'm trying to say is we we can't we can't understand. We
0: can't understand. And also
6: maybe maybe because there is no there's no opposite, right? Only there's sorrow, there is happiness, right? Otherwise, how will you know you're happy if there is? So Absolutely. the opposites don't.
0: Absolutely. So that's why it's. Uh, I think uh, they say right that Atman is beyond Sat and Asat. Only if there is an Asat, there is a, something relative Sat to it. But it is beyond that. It is beyond Sukh and Dukh. It is beyond these dualities because these dualities only exist in experience. If there's no experience, then it's just it
1: is. <laughs> so, so, so the so the word that kind of uh, works is at least in my mind is effortless. So, it's a little bit like if you jump into a deep pool, you would come up without any effort. I mean, you just float up and like, you know, feeling of weightlessness and lightness, right? Yeah. So, I think that's one way to sort of think about it, I guess. This is one example I read something. It's about sort of, you know, this whole sort of pool where just, you just, you just, it just happen. You just make no effort. You just need to stay still, right? You just need to be calm. Uh, so, that's kind of the effortlessness is one way to describe it
0: absolutely. Actually, yeah, he uses the word effortlessly, hopelessly. <laughs> <It is there.
6: laughs> hopelessly. <coughs> you know, uh, I had gone uh, to a certain place where this uh, person was one of those, you know, so many retreats to you know, get to know ourselves. So one of the places uh, this person said was, just sit, uh, look outside. Okay, and it was a beautiful place and up in the hills, with a lot of greenery and birds chirping. And he said, try not to name anything. Okay, don't say bird is chirping. Don't say the tree is green. Just try not to give it any name. You know, don't um, give it any... um, So I think that's something what uh, we're talking about here, right? I mean, the minute you start um, classifying, that's when uh, obviously, you know... (laughs) you you're out of that
1: it's a little oh. bit like who am i i mean you know you can't describe it it is undescribable right but we find a way to do through various ways okay. and ultimately uh, bases like 1880 or whatever right so there are different ways to do it but the fact is that you cannot describe it because it's not describable. so it's something similar in some sense
6: yeah it's not easy but yeah fact, <laughs> you can't think if you don't
0: know a language yes you cannot try it without language. You cannot
1: think. The beautiful lecture of SPG on the paradox of language, it's fascinating. I mean, I okay. recommend
3: it. Okay. Just connecting to that was also how they explained why we consider the Upanishads as our Pramana and as Ruti, why we should believe. It's like, so if you keep on saying that's like one question that comes in the mind of a learner, if you keep on saying this is beyond this, beyond that, beyond all this thing, how are you eventually going to describe this Atma to me or Brahman to me? And the way it does is by it does is by negation. It just says all these things that you know everywhere I'm explaining, it's all not this. And then you you once, once when like all these things are negated, then whatever remains. If it is can be called as whatever. That, that thing is Brahman. So that's why it is the Sruti, and we have to uh, believe that this is telling some knowledge that's beyond uh, reachable with words, and even even the senses and your intellect and so on, even as a thought.
0: Yeah, because actually there are lots of arguments that how are Vedas, you know, uh, how can Vedas explain it, you know, what the reality is, because the ignorance is also in the mind, which is in this Maya. So the ignorance is also removed in the mind yeah. because the enlightened being, what eventually is, is never bound. So yeah. there's no confusion in that part. The confusion, where the confusion is, it needs to be removed there only. So even though Vedas are part of Maya, they're still yeah. move yeah. the confusion within Maya.
3: Are we also discussing fifty-six or uh, stopping at fifty-five? We are stopping at fifty-five. Got it, got it. Because I was just about to say, I was just like looking at the next page, and it kind of seemed to give like a more specific thing. Oh, not not affected by happiness, not affected by sadness, uh, and then it kind of brought it down one more level to how we relate it within the real world. But we'll, we'll take that up, I guess, next week. Yeah, when we discuss.
0: So next week I think, yeah, we can take up uh, three or maybe four as well, because they're quite similar. Now it is, um, or maybe <laughs> I'm trying to be an overachiever. <laughs> <laughs> We've never done more than three,
6: so <laughs> we'll stick to three. For the next 56, session. 56, and 58?
4: Yeah, 56, 57, 58, yeah.
0: Right, anything else All right. wants to add? I don't know, you had raised the hand sometime back and then you lowered it down. Um actually it's just lost now and because I was driving and I couldn't actually just button. So I pressed it and then the light turned green. So never mind now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, 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 don't worry. It's nothing. I mean, I think somebody else covered something that I wanted to say in a similar fashion. So it's fine. Rajiv, anything from you for us to go with the laughter?
8: (laughs) I don't have to say much now. It's already 8 o'clock. The only thing is that I often get confused between this, uh, the Anand of Satchidanand. Okay? Because every translation says existence, consciousness and bliss. Bliss is the word which is used very widely. Whereas what you said and you know, I also... Mentioned it at one time, you know, I, I call it a contradiction that Buddha's closest disciple was Anand. And Buddha says, there is only Ashok, you know, suffering. <laughs> so, you know, I, and it's, you know, if you want to talk about motivation, it's demotivating, you know, unless you're really terribly frustrated in life, you know, <laughs> You so want to be even more demotivated? More demotivated de- it's highly demotivating, yes. na, end of suffering. Yaar, we, you know, itni karke. But I'm saying that unless one is going through a lot of suffering, the goal of Ashoka is not exciting enough for a normal person unless he's really, you know, seen on gone or gone through suffering. So that's point one. And second point is, I am not very sure, you know, because this Satchidanand, uh, you know, was... I don't know. Historically, I think before Buddha came in, right? Because this is, uh, and, uh, and Buddha was obviously we know every we know that it was, uh, you know, he wanted to, you know, he was it was against all these pandits and rituals. Oops, oh, the
0: last one. The last one. I just wanted to say that if you want to be even more demotivated, what is moksha? It is praptasya prapti, nivritasya nivriti. So, whatever you have, you will get it. Whatever you don't have, you don't get it. So, even further below that, you get rid of the suffering. And to the second point, he was saying, actually, I have now noticed that most, at least Swami S.P.G., he uses the translation for Satchid Anand as infinite Finite. existence. Yeah. So he uses the word infinite for Anand, not uh, bliss. But we lost him, sir. Yeah. That's what, that's what I thought. Because yes, bliss is confusing. Bliss, we tend to relate the way we now use the Zen state, blissful state, which is actually a state of completeness, fulfillment, where there is no, there is no Abhav. So, so that's the state of Ananda. Because you're not feeling anything, but you don't desire anything. Either. Because there's there's nothing that, that is lacking. Abhav is nothing is lacking. <laughs> so that's that state. Yeah. All right, I think we'll close with the closing cloak. Oh. Rajiv is back, sorry. I'll give him just a couple of minutes. Hi, Rajiv. Sorry, we lost you.
8: Sorry, I got locked out.
0: Yeah, sorry, sorry. Yeah, We you, we lost you. I, Go ahead.
8: Yeah. Got locked out. So what I was saying is I'm not sure whether the Ashoka or lack of suffering, end of suffering and Satchidan Anand is the same thing. That's what, you know, it's only the interpretation of Buddha. So that's, uh, you know, one thing. And uh, obviously, yes, nobody knows what's that state, you know, whether it's uh, exciting, not exciting, whether it's, you know, very dull and boring. But I'm sure it's not because whatever, you know, we've read about enlightenment. So it seems okay. But I think it's worth, at some at some subsequent time, we can discuss about, uh, you know, Ashoka versus Anand. Is it really, are they really synonyms? Or there are shades of meanings within the two? That's it. You know, <laughs> it's already <laughs> past eight. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. That's a fair point. And I was just saying,
0: actually, um, that Swami SPG uses the term in, uh, infinite for Anand, not bliss so infinite is that you are not lacking anything you are fulfilled and there's nothing uh, that you desire so it's a not a felt experience again which we link to bliss it's more of being the infiniteness and then right. second one i was saying was what was the second part i forgot
2: <laughs> that usse <laughs> bhi niche ek aur sad story hai ah,
0: That's can, what you were saying that suffering not yoga. Actual Mokshka definition is praptasya prapti nivritasya nivruti Whatever you have, you will get that. And whatever you don't have, you don't get that. So it's, if that one was demotivating, I think this will be even more.
8: I want to ask VP, what is the ROI of the whole effort?
0: <laughs> Return on investment is...
2: <laughs> it's infinite, boss.
0: See, infinite. that's the point. It's infinite. Yes, you will feel... Yeah. Pretty-
2: Denominator, <laughs> hai, zero Denominator zero.
0: Denominator okay.
6: <laughs> <laughs> We are all here assuming it's
2: infinite, okay? Otherwise, none of us will be here. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. You have to start with that belief, Chitra, that that's what you are chasing, that's what moksha is, because yeah. that's what the scripture says, and that was that's what all the Gurujis who are supposedly enlightened say. So because like, one thing is common.
0: All enlightened beings are always they look very happy. So so that's one thing in common in all enlightened beings that we say. All right. We'll no, I was just gonna
2: say, I was just gonna say because they are sannyasis, right? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> 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 just joking, I, I was half joking, obviously.
0: <laughs> all right. Hey um, yeah, sorry asato sadgamaya tamaso ma jyotirgamaya mrityor ma amritam gamaya om, om shanti,
7: shanti shanti shanti
0: om shri guruvyo ah. loka lokasamstah Sukino no bhavantu, loka samastha. Sukhi no bhavantu, loka samastha. No bhavantu.
1: Loka